0: Welcome back to our Clean Air podcast. This is part two. Uh, I'm Matt Halsey, Application Development Manager at Servamex, and I'm joined by Barb Marshick, our Global Business Development Manager. Today, we'll be continuing our chat about Servamex Clean Air solutions. We hope you enjoy. Let's talk about uh, phase three of the, the clean air f- uh, phases. So this is our emissions monitoring phase. So we've sorted out our combustion control. We've got our efficient combustion process. We've taken the gases we have produced, we've removed as many of them as possible. Now we have this tricky task of actually monitoring what's coming out of our stack and what we are emitting to the atmosphere, which of course is the part that, that's quite heavily regulated so bob mentioned a lot earlier about how this is done in in the US it's done on a much a slightly different approach to how it's done in Europe using performance testing methodology uh, if you compare that to Europe you know there's 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 a lot of regulations in place you would have heard of MSERT. you would have heard of qual which is used in Europe and various test famous test houses that most people have heard of, like TUV, that take your equipment and, and issue certification. But All these emissions are are regulated, typically to to fixed values, so maximum allowable emissions values for particular gases across different types of process. So large processes will have very different numbers at uh, very different limits compared to small processes. And it's normally done, you know, on on things like the physical size. It could be megawatt output if it's an energy generator. So Bob, um, could you tell us a little bit more about this performance testing method that's used in the US?
1: Right. And so I had alluded to it before that, you know, there's there's really two two different types of processes that are used around the world. And so, like Matt talked about, uh, the EU uh, either uses, well, it requires you to certify your whole system from uh, the the sample probe all the way to the analyzer, and it includes the sample conditioning systems, and you have to use and test it at a third-party testing site, and then they certify the system. The U.S., on the other hand, you know, you'll hear people that that ask about whether or not your system is certified by EPA. EPA doesn't certify anything. EPA prescribes that a system will do this, and this is the performance that you must meet in the field on the stack live. In most cases, they don't prescribe what you have to use, but they do prescribe how it has to form. So what you'll find is you'll have a manufacturer or a company that will go out and put a, a system together, continuous emissions monitoring system on your stack, and then you're required to have somebody come in and verify that it's working. So prior to the end user, the owner of the plant, being able to walk away from the system and let it run, they have to have a what we call a stack tester come in and verify the company that just installed your, your SEMS equipment, installed it right, installed it in the right position. They do all sorts of tests on the where it's done, how you're sampling it. And then they actually uh, do side-by-side testing of uh, your analyzer with their referenced method analyzer. And so that test is, uh, the stack tester is considered to have the reference information. And so the SEM has to match it within a certain percentage. And that's how the US has uh, done all of its referencing and certification in the field. And so, depending on what type of requirements, you might have to have a stack tester drive in on a a, basically a mobile lab up to your site Uh, in general once a year. Sometimes you might be able, depending on the regulation, only have to test it once every three years. And again, depending on the regulation, you might have to have a stack tester come once a quarter. And so, they perform the required uh, testing on your site, and then if you pass, then you're, you're good to go for the next set of days, or, you know, it's a quarter, it might be a half year, it might be a year, it might be three years. You're all set until the next time rolls around. And that's what what is being done in the U.S., and that's the type of thing that, you know, China's actually looking at is how do they kind of implement these performance tests. They're moving more towards a combination of uh, the EU certified system. Versus once it's in the field, to actually have a, a Chinese EPA person go out and verify it. Whereas the U.S. doesn't necessarily have EPA do the verification. They would be standing there or you know watching all of this testing going on, but they're not the ones actually doing the testing. So it all depends on, on what country you're at, who does the testing. In the U.S., it's a third-party company, and then EPA monitors it. In China right now, it's EPA that's actually doing the testing. And so you'll see a combination of all sorts of verification testing. Because even though you certify the analyzer, it doesn't necessarily mean that it will always work in the field. And so um, that's where the U.S. portion of it gets to be triggered, and that's where somebody comes in and modifies it. And so in those mobile labs, you're going to have the same type of equipment that you have on a stack. And that's where, again, our ServoPro 4900 Multigas comes into play. Uh, You know, that has a lot of different um, uh, uh, gases that is used in the field for verification testing. It's also used in a a continuous emissions monitoring system. It it tends to use uh, some of the the big ones, again, that we've mentioned before is uh, the NOx emissions um, and oxygen is another one depending on what kind of gas you have, if you're using natural gas as your, your fuel source and you're, you're running a turbine, you might also be regulated and have to monitor CO. Um, not every, every source regulates, is regulated by CO, but you know it, it's all uh, regulation dependent on what gases you're going to monitor. But the 4900 has been used in both like mobile labs as well as as a stationary source in a continuous emissions monitoring system. 4900 multigas, it's actually a unique analyzer for this market in particular. If you do remember, you know, if you, you come back to those again, it's the only one on the market that has um, a dual inlet and outlet. And so NOx emissions uh, or NOx monitoring is you need it really fast and, and and you want to have NO and NOx at the same time. It's the perfect analyzer for it. Other than the fact that it's, it's still not low enough, <laughs> it's perfect. The change that you're seeing, however, is the NOx levels are starting to be dropped. And so because it is quite hazardous to the ozone layer, countries are starting to require tighter and tighter uh, controls on the NOx emissions. And so once you start getting into like less than 10 ppm, your typical uh, non-dispersive infrared analyzer is just not going to cut it. And so what you'll see is uh, a lot more users turning to chemiluminescence detectors. That's where our ServoPro NOx system comes into play. It's a chemiluminescence detector. It goes to very low levels and also uh, very high levels, all with the same analyzer. It is a little bit more, I shouldn't say challenging, but it has a lot more, uh, the the parts are different. They do have a little bit more maintenance than an NDIR does, but It also uh, allows you to go to really low levels of detection, which is why it is uh, starting to become the analyzer of choice at low-level NOx emissions in a uh, continuous emissions monitoring system, or as what we talked about before in this gas cleaning process, you can also use a chemiluminescence to look at not only uh, are we looking at the ammonia coming off the process of an SCR, SNCR, but you can also look at, did I actually clean up the NOx? So you can directly look at it right at the source. Um, and the chemiluminescence is, a, a, again, when you're looking at it at the source and looking at it as a process control, you need to have the analyzer to be uh, very fast. And so both the, the 4900 multigas as well as the Servo pro NOx are fast analyzers when you're looking at it as a stack, now you can slow it down. And so you can actually uh, look at the gas a lot longer, you get better signal to noise. So both of those analyzers also work well at the stack. The big plus is, can it work faster? And so yes, both of those can work faster, allowing you to use it in the gas cleanup stage, as well as also use it in the the gas emission stage.
0: Yes, of course, on the stack, you, you move a bit more towards averaging measurements and things like that, that you're reporting as yes. well. So that, you know, you said you're allowed to do a slower measurement. It's interesting you talk about the technologies as well. You, you mentioned you know, some of the differences between your more traditional NDIR um, and then this chemiluminescence. That's something else that the uh, some of the European, uh, the more European type uh, emission standards regulate is, is not just the emissions limits, also the technologies used to monitor those emissions they're actually specified in a a lot of the the standards so for example the reference technology I believe for NOx is chemiluminescence but you you are allowed to use alternative technologies one of which is is NDIR or in our case gas filter correlation specifically which is just a a type of infrared oxygen of course paramagnetic which is something that that Servomex are Really renowned for, you know, that's our, our, our very much our core technology and how we started. So oxygen for the the um, oxygen reference measurement you have to have for emissions and and various other uh, types of technology. So I don't know, Barb, if if you can speak for the the American regulations, you know, whether they they are doing the same thing. Are they specifying technologies for different in gases?
1: In some cases, uh, they do. Uh, it, it, you know, if if depending on on how tight the regulation is, you know, you are bound to very certain analyzers. Uh, you can ask for an alternative and sometimes you will see them. Um, so they do it as a case-by-case basis, but there are places where, especially in the power uh, generation facilities, where you're required to use very specific analyzers. And If your analyzer can't make that performance, it is not allowed. So you'll see in there that, yes, These are the types of analyzers that you can use. And so there is a a recommended process and a a recommended analyzer that, you know, they've used before. They validated it and they recommend that you use this. But if you want to use something else, you just have to prove that it is equivalent to any of these others.
0: And of course, this makes it very challenging for uh, an equipment manufacturer, because when you when you've got a product that you're, you know, is, is being distributed globally, it's important to make sure that you've got the right technologies, you've got the right certifications for all the different countries. You know, a really good example of that would be Asia Pacific area, where all of the different uh, Asian countries have. Different rules, different regulations. They require their own specific types of certificates, which are all based on, fundamentally, they're based on uh, MCERTs, which is a, a UK thing. But it makes it very challenging to keep up with, with what the world's doing. And of course, this is a very dynamic market at the moment. You know, these emissions regulations are changing every year. I think some of them have, have almost, um, these maximum limits almost halved in the last couple of years. It's become such a hot topic. Talk a little bit about uh, PS18 specifically for the EPA uh, regulations of America. Could you just give us the highlights of that? So it's
1: almost very controversial in the United States. I, I had mentioned earlier that some of the states are starting to monitor ammonia. Well, the problem is, is that the U.S. EPA does not regulate ammonia. And so where the challenge is, is that because the U.S. EPA doesn't regulate it, they don't have a, a standard by which there's a performance standard that each state would have to follow. And so what EPA asks the states to do is, you know, they could call up EPA and say, well, what would you recommend? Um, and so what EPA has recommended is that they follow the performance specification 18 Performance specification 18 is for hydrogen chloride, or HCL. But the reason why they recommend this one is that HCL was the first performance specification that allowed tunable diode lasers to be used. Prior to that, everything was a probe. You grab the sample. You bring it to your analyzer. It's either done hot, wet, or you drop the water out. You do it cold. So the problem you have with things like HCL and ammonia is, again, they're wet. Uh, or they're polar, and they adsorb into the water so that when you drop the water out, guess what? You also dropped your HCL and your ammonia out. When you do those types of gases, you are not allowed to use a a typical NDIR, which requires you to remove the water. You have to do it hot and wet. Not to say that an infrared analyzer can't be run hot-wet, but what EPA had started to allow is for you to do it right across the stack. And so the best technology uh, for stack monitoring is a laser. And so it looks across the stack. It averages the gases across the stack. Well, that brings up another issue because before you could clean out your your sample tubes by putting a, a nitrogen gas in there because you have to zero your analyzer out. So with an extractive type system... You, you basically run nitrogen down your probe. It shows up as nothing in your, your analyzer. You zero it out. You prove that you, you're seeing a zero. You can put uh, calibrated gas through that probe, prove that you're reading the, you know, the right numbers. But how do you do that when you're always seeing the stack gas? So that was the reason for uh, EPA developing ps 18 was to take on that challenge and say, this is how you would do it because you're always going to have that stack gas. And so you're, you're going to be able to do a bump gas, meaning I'm going to put contribution of ammonia that I know, uh, run it up to the, to the gas, to the, the actual uh, laser that you're running. I'm going to be able to see it and the stack gas at the same time. And then they tell you a number of different ways of how you treat that stack gas in order to get back the correct numbers that you need. But the problem with PS18, unfortunately, is that it's pretty difficult to read. And so EPA is, you know, is willing to change uh, the methodology for the performance testing for ammonia to make it less onerous uh, than it is currently for HCL. And there's a reason for HCL being difficult uh, because you're not only looking at low levels, but you also have to look at really high levels of HCL when you're, you're looking at a, a cement plant because you're, you're going to have high levels of HCL that you have to see at the same time. That's not the same case in ammonia. You're always going to be at that low level because you're required to. Eventually, if the U.S. EPA does come up with a stance and they're going to start regulating, they will follow the performance specs 18 or what we call ps 18. So in general, what companies are trying to do, um, you know, if they're being tasked by the state actually follow this or at least start monitoring it, they're trying to make sure that the analyzers are following PS18. That's what instrument manufacturers are doing is that you take your analyzer and then you test it based upon what PS18 says for HCL, uh, but you just you know, take HCL out of the equation and put ammonia in there and you verify it according to that. That's a actually an ongoing process uh, as we speak right here in the United States, where they are looking at an ammonia laser on a stack to be used for um, continuous emissions monitoring and most places are looking at it following ps18 so that's what you'll hear a lot is does your analyzer follow ps18 and that's what we're that's what we have is a laser 3 plus is is uh being tested for ps18 and again the u.s doesn't certify but it requires you to say i did test it and yes it does follow ps18 and i
0: fully i fully suspect that you know, the, the, the rest of the world will follow suit at some point. You know, I, I can see ammonia becoming in a few years, probably a, a very, probably quite heavily regulated emission from, especially from, you know, from my perspective, from the UK and Europe as well. Okay, Bob. just to think about closing this out, I want to talk about one more subject, which is some of the other things that the, the customers are now starting to do to reduce their really their CO2 output specifically, as, as opposed to the, the other types of emissions that we, we see. You mentioned earlier about uh, hydrogen and, and, and hydrogen as a fuel. So you go into a little bit more detail on that subject.
1: Yeah, so uh, because corporations and countries, especially the EU, are really trying to make some drastic changes in their carbon footprint, they've looked around and you know there's, there's all sorts of different ways that you can lower your carbon footprint, and, and in particular, CO2, which is why people call it a greenhouse gas. One way of doing that is looking at alternative fuels, alternative ways of doing things that you used to do. And so there's a huge push to um, start using hydrogen as a fuel source rather than natural gas or even feed streams from uh, a refinery. And so if you take those types of gases and uh, switch them out with hydrogen, there are some you know, major equipment changes that you have to do because it burns differently. It reacts differently with metals. But, you know, that's what the there's lots of research going on with that. But how do you get hydrogen? Well, it turns out that 90 to 95% of the world's hydrogen is created from steam methane reforming. So it actually does come from uh, natural gas. And so when you use steam methane reforming, you create a large amount of CO2. We also have hydrogen. You know, now we've got our product that we're looking for, but what are we going to do about that CO2? So that's where you'll hear people start talking about carbon capture and sequestration or utilization in order to allow methane reforming being part of this new hydrogen economy with a low carbon footprint, you have to get rid of the CO2 that's liberated during the process. And so if you can do that, then you create what people call blue hydrogen. So blue hydrogen is where I've created hydrogen. I know it has a lot of CO2, but I've done something with the CO2. And sequestration means grabbed it Shoved it under the ground in a storage facility, or you know, a cave, or you know, some kind of big hole, or use it, you know, to actually get more oil and gas out of the ground. Might bury it yeah. under the ocean, so you, you're holding it there. A better process that I'm personally fond of is utilizing it in some other type of solid or liquid. And some of those processes you'll see is is methanol. You can create methanol from CO2. You can create uh, carbon black from CO2. So those are some of the, the products that people are looking at. They're also looking at using CO2 in the direct production of, of cement. So there's a, you'll start seeing a lot of uh, research being done on what am I going to do with the CO2? Here's a solid or a liquid phase that I can actually transform it into. And that's the utilization part of carbon capture. But that's what you're starting to see. And, you know, the, the great thing is, is that, you know, we actually have a lot of analyzers that, that do play into this market. So this market's slightly different because now I've got a product called hydrogen. Well, hydrogen is actually a hazardous gas and it's flammable. So you have to have analyzers that are going to be able to, to be part of the process that monitors uh, the amount of oxygen, monitors the impurities that are in the hydrogen stream. And that's where our twenty five hundreds come into play when you're creating CO2. When you're creating CO, um, they are certified for class one, div one in some cases, can be placed right on the process and be part of uh, your solution to making sure you've got safe and uh, the proper impurity levels of hydrogen at, at all portions down the stream.
0: So, thank you everybody for listening in on on another Servomex podcast, and hopefully we'll, we'll be bringing many more to you in the future on a on a variety of topics. Thank you so much for calling in and, and helping out with this podcast. I really appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, thank you, Matt. Um, I appreciate it, and I hope everybody uh, enjoyed the podcast. You can always contact Servomex for more information on on analyzers. Just to to chat about, you know, how we're positioning ourselves for uh, this new clean energy uh, market.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And please do visit our website, servomex.com. You can find out more there about our clean air solutions. We've also released, uh, very recently released a magazine, one of our regular ES magazines dedicated to this topic of clean air. So please do grab a copy of that from the website and, and, and have a read. Don't forget to listen to our other podcasts. They're also available on the Servomex website. I think this is number three in the catalogue so far. So we're pumping them out at the moment. So as I said, look out for more in in the near future. But thank you once again for listening and uh, we'll, we'll catch you next time.